We're going to look at verses 4 through 7. You studied 1 through 3 a little bit. We're going 4 through 7. And so let's pray really quick. And then, and then we'll dive into verse 4. So, Father, thank you for uh, Ephesians and for the, these first few verses and the studies that students came up with and that they were exploring and considering. And um, God, your word is just... It, it, like there's a reason that you... You put it even above your name. And it's because your word is like, it's crazy. It's wild how, how deep it is and yet how accessible it is. Uh, I think the analogy of it being a pool and, you know, or an ocean where you can just kind of, you can, you can enter the water and you're just ankle deep and, um, you know, that's cool and it's good to be in the ocean or, or whatever, but then you can also swim out into the depths and you can get to a place where you can't even reach the bottom. And, and so is your word that it's, it's accessible, but it's also like unfathomable. I mean, it's, you are brilliant. God, you are, you're so intelligent and and those words fall so short of describing how um, awesome and wise you actually are. Um, God, thank you. Thank you that we can, we can study your word. And uh, God, would you even now, as we just kind of look through some verses and we consider your word more, uh, God, would you help us to see your word for what it is? God, would you help us to respect your word? Um, God, I don't need any respect for me personally. I don't need that. But God, I, I need for us, myself included, I need for us to, to respect your word right now. To hear it, to receive it, to obey it, to let it change us. God, we need that. We need your spirit to humble us. We need your spirit to encourage us. We need your spirit to awaken us, to quicken us, to give us life. God, some of us, we need you to save us this morning. God, it's, pretty, it's a pretty scary thing to consider leaving your word this morning, not having uh, received it, received from you what you want to give to us, especially if it's salvation. I mean, that's a scary thing to walk away from salvation this morning. God, don't let us do that. If there's people who need to be saved, God, would you give them boldness and humility to make that right? Um, God, give us wisdom this morning. God, we love you. I'm excited. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this class and, and for the time we get right now. And just ask that you would help. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4. The verse is... <clears throat> But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us. We're just going to look at that. So what we just saw in verses 1 through 3 is we saw that you and I are, we are doomed. Right? Because of our sin. Because of our disobedience against God. God said in his word, he gave us the law. He gave us all these instructions. He gave us the do's and the don'ts. And we, we fail. If you fail one, you fail them all, the Bible says. Okay? So we have fallen short of the glory of God. We can't meet God's expectations. And as a result, we're dead. But, verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy. And that's what we're going to look at. God being rich in mercy. And I want to do so with an illustration. 
I like football. Does anyone like football? How many people like football? Okay, that's enough. How many of you know who Patrick Mahomes is? Okay, that's enough. Patrick Mahomes, how many of you know how much money, roughly, minimally, he's going to make in the next 10 years? Okay. So he is a half a billion dollar man. He signed a contract for $500 million to play football. Do you understand? That's insane. He's making a lot of money. And on top of that, he's probably got uh, advertising gigs. And he's got, I mean, this guy will not be needing money for the rest of his life, nor will his family. Okay? He's rich. He's the richest man in the NFL. Right? It's crazy. He's got some money. Now, I like Mahomes, right, naturally. Uh, but Patrick Mahomes, the $500 million man, pales in comparison to God's riches. You understand? He pales. He fails. He does not compete with God's riches. Patrick Mahomes could have almost literally anything that he wants. He could buy anything he wants. And still have plenty of money to buy anything he wants. But God is infinitely more rich than him. And, and there's one of God's riches that we're looking at that is his mercy. One of God's riches is his mercy. And he's got a lot of it. He's got a lot of mercy. And how many of you know what mercy is? Anybody know what mercy is? Raise your hand if you know what mercy is. Gavin, Rashawn, okay, there's, there's a sprinkling of you. Mercy is you and I, or someone not receiving what they deserve, okay? Not receiving what they deserve. For example, my daughter disobeys me. What she deserves is discipline, okay? Mercy is not giving her that discipline, okay? Mercy is you and I sin against God. We deserve an eternity in hell. We deserve an eternity burning in a lake of fire. Mercy is you don't get that. God doesn't give you the penalty for your sin, okay? Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 says this, It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. God is faithful, God is full of compassion, and God has new mercy for you and for me every morning. God is rich in mercy. Every morning, for every person, there's mercy available. You understand? God is rich. That's a lot of mercy. He just gives it out. Offers it up every day. Right? Patrick Mahomes, <clears throat> naturally, okay, this is not a diss session on Patrick Mahomes. I'm just going to use him as an illustration. Patrick Mahomes is absolutely delighting in that money and success. As many of us are delighting in his money and success too. Right? Patrick Mahomes, He's probably pretty pleased with the money that he has. How couldn't he be? Right? He's pleased. He's delighted in the money he's got. And God is delighting in mercy. So Micah chapter 7 verse 18 says, Who is a God like unto thee, that pardoneth iniquity, and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever, why? Because he delighteth in mercy. Don't you know that God isn't destroying us? Because he delights in mercy. 
You and I, if we're in Christ, if we put our faith and trust in Christ, we're not going to spend an eternity in a lake of fire because God delights in mercy. Because he looks at it and he's like, I like that. That's what my daughter says when she sees the cat. She's like, I like it. I like it. I like it. God looks at mercy and he says, I like it. That brings me delight. I enjoy mercy. I enjoy not giving people what they deserve. Who's a God like that? Who's a person like that? You know what I mean? God is good. Mahomes is using his money for good. For good causes. Right? He's setting up, you know, voting polls and he's giving donations. I mean, Mahomes is using his money well. He's probably a pretty good dude. And he's using it, using it for himself. Naturally. God is giving and using His mercy for our good. He's giving and using it for our good. God delights in it, but does it do anything for God? Not outside of just fulfilling what He wants. Just because He's good. Titus chapter 3, verses 3-7, through seven, it says, For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. You and I were trifling. That's a word Kylie used last night that I thought was really funny. You and I were trifling before Christ. Some of you may be even in Christ, you act trifling. I don't know. But before Christ forgave you and cleansed you, washed away all your sins, gross. But after that, the kindness and love of our God, of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. What did He do with His mercy? He saved us. He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by His grace, being justified, making it just as if we had never sinned by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now we get to inherit, we are heirs, we inherit eternal life with God. How much of Mahomes' money are you going to get? None. Right? Which, that's cool, man. You keep throwing that football. Keep making that money. Keep whatever. You know, that's all good. But God says, hey, here's eternal life. And you have it because of my mercy. Right? Because he's rich in it. He's got a lot of it. And he's using it for our good. And then lastly, Mahomes will leave that money behind when he passes someday. And it will eventually dissipate or burn up in the end. You understand his money is not going with him after death. Now, I don't, I obviously would not wish, you know, that kind of thing on a person. But everyone's going to die, right? And hopefully Mahomes has lots of children and lives lots of years and wins lots of Super Bowls for us. And, and, and that's good. Hopefully he gets saved and he becomes an heir of eternal life. And hopefully he comes to Midtown and starts tithing here. <laughs> Just saying. But whenever he dies, do you know what happens to his money? His family gets it. You know how much he enjoys it then? Zero percent. He's not taking it with him. 
He won't enjoy that money for eternity, but God will enjoy his mercy with us for all eternity. Psalm 136 verse 1 through 4 says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Oh, give thanks unto the God of gods, for his mercy endureth forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his mercy endureth forever. Don't you know God is so much better than anything else? He's so much better than any other authority or leadership in your life. He's so much better than me. He's so much better than your parents. He's so much better than your teachers. He's so much better than the principals and the, and the mayors and the governors and the presidents. He's so much better because his mercy endureth forever. To him who alone doeth great wonders, for his mercy endureth forever. But God who is rich in mercy, he's rich. He's got plenty of mercy for you and me. And what did he do with it? For his great love wherewith he loved us. He loved us, verse 5, even when we were dead in sins. Even when we were dead in sins. Hath quickened us together with Christ. You looked up quickened. Or you looked, did you look up quickened? Yeah, quickened. And it shows up how many times? Seven, right? So it shows up seven times. And what's it mean? To make alive, right? So God made us alive. We were dead in sins. Because of our sin, we were dead. We were separated from God. That's what that word means, dead. It means separated. When you die, you separate from your body. Okay, but you are already spiritually separated from God if you're dead in your sins. But Christ comes, he dies on the cross, he gets buried, and he raises again from the dead. And all of a sudden, when we believe on that resurrection and we trust in his lordship in our lives, he quickens us. He makes us alive with Him. All of a sudden, you're not dead. You're alive. You have eternal life. Have quickened us together with Christ. By grace, you are saved. So despite how vile and undeserving we are because of our fallen nature, you and I have been offered an unmerited resurrection. You don't deserve to be raised from the dead. You don't deserve eternal life. I don't deserve, when I die, to have the peace of knowing before that day happens that when I do die, I don't deserve this, but I'm going to go to heaven and I'm going to be with God forever. And I'm inching moment by moment toward that day. And instead of dreading the day that I die, at some level, I can kind of be eager. And when people that we know, like Mark Trotter and others who have passed or, or are inching towards, when it doesn't look, when it doesn't look good, you know, we pray that they, that they heal up. I want Mark Trotter to recover. I'm trusting God for that. But I know he's inching towards the moment where he will be face to face with the Father. Dude, are you kidding me? You can have that resolution. You can have that resolution. Gavin and I were talking about Connor uh, Bartlett, right? Dude was supposed to die when he was a baby. And then lived. And then he was supposed to die as a teenager. And then lived. But when he, when he had that, uh, that reality of, I might not make it through these treatments. I have cancer and it's, it's killing my body. And I might die. He, do you know, what his, you know what his state of mind was? He's at peace. He was leading people on his wrestling team to the Lord. Why? Because time's running out. 
My time is limited. And I need these people to know Christ. And I'm cool. Whatever happens, happens. Bro, are you kidding me? Some of us, that's a very, very far removed concept. No way that couldn't be me. Yes way that can be you. You can have that peace. God offers it to you. You can be made alive in Christ, forgiven of your sins and given liberty from your sins so that you don't have to sin anymore. John chapter 3 verse 18 it says, He that believeth on him is not condemned. But let me be clear. He that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Do you know that this morning, if you've not believed on Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, if you have not had that conversation and that interaction with Jesus Christ that says, God, I need you to come into my heart, to come into my life. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin, which is the reason I need you. Come into my life. Save me from my sins. And I'm just going to give you my life and follow you. And I need your peace. I need the love, joy, and peace. Right? And I need you to just guide and direct my life. If you haven't had that moment, you are dead right now. You're condemned. And if you were to die today, you would burn in hell. In a hell that will, that will eventually get cast into a lake of fire. Now, I can swim pretty well. Okay? I like swimming. But when you get into open water in a lake where you can't touch, even the best swimmer eventually will get tired. And if left in that lake, eventually will drown and die. I've never swam in a lake of fire. (laughs) But I would imagine that drowning sensation that happens for eternity comes on you a little quicker. I would imagine the moment you enter that lake of fire, you are miserable. You're in anguish. You are begging that it would stop. Except there's no one around you. There's no one there to help you. God said, I I literally did everything. I literally did everything that I possibly could for you. And you rejected it. What do you want me to do now? I give you a whole life to choose. And for you, I've given you all of these years, all the way up to 14, 15, 16, 17, however old you are. I gave you all of these years to choose me. What else was I supposed to do? Except he won't be there to answer that. I don't know about you. I don't want anybody in this room to be in that place. That's awful. Right? God did everything. And here's the reality. If you have, uh, you have put your faith and trust in Christ. Verse 6. And hath raised us up together. And made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You're not going into a lake of fire. You've already been raised up into heavenly places. Now there's a guy, uh, his name is John Phillips, and he wrote in, a, in, in one of his books an excerpt that I'd like to read to you. And it's a little lengthy, so bear with me. Uh, and then we just have one more verse to look at. But John Phillips says this regarding being raised up together and made to sit in uh, heavenly places in Christ. He says, imagine the awesome wonder of it. God has seated us on his glorious throne. 
in Christ, we are already seated where He is. God has enveloped us in Christ so that when He looks at us, He always sees Him. No matter how or when God looks at us, He sees Christ, sees Him in all the beauty of His holiness and all the glory of His grace and all the splendor of His person. We are like the boards of the tabernacle in the Old Testament that were hewn from gnarled, twisted acacia wood and then encased in gold. When people looked at those boards, all they saw was the gold. The same is true of us. When God looks at us, He sees Christ. He continues, God has made us sit together in heavenly places. If we could start at some point on earth and draw an imaginary line upward from earth to heaven, up to where Christ sits at the right hand of God, at first we might draw our line up beyond the highest mountains. But the line would have to go higher than that. We might reach up beyond the clouds, beyond the stratosphere, beyond the radiation belts that girdle the globe. But our line would have to go still higher. We might trace the line on up until it is among the stars, climbing further and farther into the starry heavens, leaving the Milky Way and our nearest neighbor galaxies far behind. But still, we would have to go higher. At last, we might leave behind the remotest star in space and cross the great divide between a space-matter-time dimension into an eternal spiritual dimension. Our line might pass from starland into glory land, climbing past the shining sentinels at the gates of heaven, ever upward to the towering peak of the ultimate Zion. If we finally reached the dizzy peaks and pinnacles of glory, we would see the dazzling throne where God sits, where Christ sits, where He has made us sit. We sit there together. This is a thought beyond all thought. He has raised us from the tomb and placed us on the throne. Are you kidding me? What's your spiritual reality? Bro, you're, you're seated in heavenly places in Christ, taken out of a tomb, taken out of an eternal lake of fire. Why? Verse 7, this is why. This is part of the reason why. Number one, He loves you. Number two, verse 7, that in the ages to come, in the ages to come, He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us. Through Christ Jesus. So in other words, God is in the ages to come, right? In the ages to come, like the millennial reign, eternity future. You and I, and I mean no objectification or, uh, you know, belittlement of women or wives at all, right? My wife is, is amazing, okay? I believe all the wives and all the women in here are amazing. But you and I, <clears throat> we get to be the ultimate trophy wife. <laughs> God is going to show the greatest display of riches, grace, and kindness that anyone has ever seen. Right? You and I, we get to just be the result of God being rich and kind. But it's not for us to see alone. It's for for everyone to see. It's for the ages to come to see how rich and, and, and kind God is. And why is that? 
Why is that? Why does God want to show how rich and kind and generous he is and has been? Why would he want to do that? And here's, here's one idea. I believe that some people seek revenge. Right? Some people seek revenge. But everyone respects the bigger man. Everyone respects the bigger man. And, and in the ages to come, when all is said and done, when everyone is, is on their knee, bowing to the Lord Jesus Christ and confessing that He is the Lord, in that day, what will God have to show those people who rejected Him? Yes. Consequences of their sin. But also, to be able to say, listen, it's... It's not for lack of love. It's not for lack of effort. Look. Look at Celia. Look at Rebecca. Look at this church that I bled out and died for and I showed my kindness and grace to. This is what I did for you. God's not petty to hold that over the people who don't accept Him. He's not going to say, Ha! Gotcha! He's going to be broken hearted. God is currently broken hearted over the people who don't know and love and trust him why because he knows what's yet to come for them and because god is so good in that way because he loves so well and because he is so rich in mercy and because he's such an awesome god to follow and trust and know and and, and walk with right he wants us to be like him so here's the question. Do, do you feel brokenhearted over the people who are in the church right now, who are in this room right now? Who are in this room, who will be in the church, who you will invite to your Bible studies, hopefully? Are you brokenhearted for what is yet to come for them except they get saved? I tell you what, that'll quickly tear you up. If you think about it, if I don't, here's the, here's the reality. If I don't invite this person to Bible study, if I don't share Christ with them, they may very well burn in a lake of fire for eternity. And I was afraid to, to do something or say something. Right? I'll leave you with this. When I was in high school, I was, uh, I was even more of an idiot than I am now right hard to believe you're like more whoa you know when i was in high school i i didn't know what i was doing i didn't know my bible at all i didn't have anyone mentoring or discipling me at the time but i had gotten saved and i had friends who were saved and so i had a similar situation to maybe some of you where i loved god and i wanted people to know god right I was just foolish enough, because I didn't know anything, to go up to my friends, all of the friends that I had, and, and to say, hey, listen, you're going to go to hell. And that's kind of scary to me, so can I, like, talk with you about that, right? And the conversation would go something like that, right? It would, all up front, it would come out that they deserve to go to hell. And I didn't do it well all the time, but I was willing, okay? And I got a lot of rejection. God is faithful God is rich in mercy. God is not giving up on you. God is not giving up on your friends. And the question is, will you put yourself out there? Will you, will you throw a rope out? Will you throw out the rescue buoy to your friends and to the people that you know 
And even if they'll reject you, just trust that God will use it. Can we do that? So if you need to get saved or you know that you, you need to, to see someone saved, let's do it. Let's give ourselves to that. This week, I get to go back to work. I'm, I'm so excited, man. Let's do it. Let's be about it. And let's start by going into main service and we'll hear what God would have for us, what he, what he wants to show us. He's probably going to teach us about aliens or something crazy so that you will have an answer for your friend as well. Let's pray and then you guys will be dismissed. Father, thank you for your word. God, thank you for the students and the counselors, just for this whole family, for this team. God, thank you for Ephesians and for just how you've been using it in our hearts and our lives up to this point. God, would you continue to use it? Would you continue to bless it? God, would you bless the students and counselors in here? Would you bless us so that we can go in and we can receive from you what you have for us? God, we need to hear from you. Give us strength in our inner man to engage and to not be apathetic and to not, you know, zone out. I know it's easy. It's easy for me. God, help us. We want to hear from you. We want to meet with you. Give us hearts and humility to repent and to come forward. Would this be a revival at the end of this next service? Would we all, would we all go down front and pray and just lay our burdens at your feet? Give us that humility and boldness. I kind of want to just say, I'm going. I'm going down. Even if it's just to beg you for Jeff's salvation. God, I'm going. God, would you break us? Get us over ourselves. Break up the stony parts of our heart. Let us just worship you as we go into second service. God, we love you and we thank you and we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.